Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for those words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Well, good morning, Cross Point Coast. It's good to be with you guys. Um, so we'll be in Revelation 21, like we just read, very end um, of the Bible. And uh, just before we get going, I, I wanted to take a second and just uh, reintroduce myself and my family. Uh, my name is Sam, and my, my wife Clara and I and our two boys, we moved up here a few weeks ago, and I, I got to come on staff here at Cross Point. Um, and I just wanted to say really just how thankful we are after a few weeks of being here. It's a weird thing when you kind of uproot your life and you change jobs and houses and move to a new place and, and meet new people. Um, and it's a real testament to what God is doing here, um, the way that we have been welcomed in and loved by the community, which is the church, right? And you guys have been so generous and gracious and loving, um, getting to meet everybody in community groups and things like that. Um, just wanted to say thank you um, and, and keep loving people like that because it, it really preaches the gospel um, in some ways more than, more than we're about to do here. So um, we're, we're very thankful. And uh, before we get to Revelation uh, 21 this morning, I, I want to start in Matthew 13. And, and you don't need to turn there. We're going to be really fast. Um, but Jesus tells this very short parable in Matthew 13 that I think really will help frame kind of where we're going and, and what we're talking about this morning. He tells um, the parable of the treasure. And in Matthew 13, Jesus says there was a man who was out in a field and he stumbled upon buried treasure. And in his joy, he, he like quickly covers it up and he goes and sells everything that he has in order to purchase that field. Nobody had to convince him to do it. He, he didn't like realize that he needed to do it, so he begrudgingly did it. All he did was see the treasure. And when he saw this bar- literal buried treasure, it like rearranged everything inside of him because he found something that was worth more than anything. He found something that was better than everything else he had put together. And once you see something like that, everything else changes. And we know that that thing, we know that that treasure is Christ and his gospel. That's what the treasure is. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And so my prayer is kind of twofold as I was thinking about it this week. 
for some of us, man, my, like my real prayer is that some of us would see that treasure for the first time. That we would see Christ and his gospel for the treasure that it really is. And everything else would be rearranged because of it. But the other group of people that I'm praying for is, is people like me who, who've seen the treasure, but just forget like really quickly. And are prone to chase after lesser treasures and are prone to like value the other things that we have because we've forgotten how good the treasure is. Um, and so this morning, and I, I don't know who you are, but, but we're praying for you. And the goal is that we would treasure again Christ and his gospel. So we're, we're very near the end of our History of Redemption series. It's been 17 weeks, um, 18 weeks. Sure, 17, I haven't been here, I don't know. Um, I've been here for like three, and it's been really good for three. But um, you guys have been doing it for a while, okay? Um, But next week, Jeremiah will be back, and you will get to hear wisdom from his big, long beard and stop listening to my face. Um, But he will be back, and you will hear him uh, close out our series. Um, But today, you get to hear from the man boy himself with no beard, all right? Um, But I'm excited to be here and, and share with you guys the very last uh, two chapters in, in Scripture. And so we've been walking through how from Genesis, the, the beginning of creation, all the way through Revelation, God has been orchestrating this plan of redemption. He's been accomplishing this plan of redemption for his people. And so we're going to look this morning specifically at some, some really unique parallels between the first three chapters in Scripture and the last three chapters in Scripture. Because we know that in creation, God created the world and it was perfect. And he, and he created like this beautiful creation. And the very best part of it was he created man and woman and he, and he created them special in his image. And there was perfect relationship with God in the original creation. But it doesn't take long in scripture for that to just totally be broken. It takes about three chapters. And that relationship, that perfect dwelling, is like shattered and torn apart. Because that's what sin does. Sin separates. Sin tears away relationship. Look at this quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon. This is the greatest glory of heaven. The ultimate restoration of what was lost in the fall. I do not think the glory of Eden lay in its grassy walks or in the bows bending with luscious fruit. But its glory lay in this, that the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Here was Adam's highest privilege, that he had companionship with the Most High. That's the very best thing about creation. It's not that there was no disease, that there was no cancer, that there was no pain, that there was no suffering. It's that there was perfect relationship between God and man. Shalom, peace. But we looked God in the face and we said, no, thank you. We would rather be God. We would rather call the shots and and sin entered the world. And so this whole history of redemption is, is like God moving his people from this broken relationship of sin in the garden all the way to what we're going to study today. And it centers on Christ and his gospel. It's what we celebrated last week. Jeremiah talked about the fact that Christ came to save sinners. The gospel in one sentence. Christ came on a rescue mission to save sinners. So we saw last week that the Apostle Paul, he doesn't try to hide 
his sin. He doesn't try to excuse it or pretend or make it seem better than it actually is. He, he, he waves it like a flag. He says, I, yes, I'm the worst of sinners because my sin is actually the very thing that qualifies me to receive grace. It's what we celebrated last week. And so this morning, we'll, we will be in Revelation 21. <clears throat> and we're going to go um, sort of quickly through the first few verses. But let's pray um, before we hop in. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your, your love for us while we were far off, stuck in our sin, with no ability to get to you and no desire to get to you. But because of your grace, you broke in and you came to us. God, I, I pray that we would again see the treasure this morning of you and your gospel. Forgive us when we forget it. Forgive us when we treasure other things. Lord, I pray for someone in this room that they would see the treasure for the very first time. That we wouldn't lose sight of the fact that you do that and you're still doing that. You are calling people to yourself. Lord, we're a room full of sinners and we ask that you would do what you do and you would draw us near. You would speak to us through your word and that we would leave here treasuring you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So we're in, this, we're in this place, on the timeline of the history of redemption, we fall in, in the already not yet, right? Jesus has already accomplished uh, our salvation by his life and death on the cross and resurrection. But yet, like it's, it's not yet fully complete, like we're going to read about today. And so we live in this tension, but we get to uncover what is coming as we look at Revelation uh, 21 this morning. And so this is what it says, 21 uh, verse 1. Then I saw, this is John who's given a vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So just stopping there in the first two verses, we see just some super simple observations that the old is gone. The old has passed away. This world is gone. The, the sea is gone. And instead, the, the sea sort of represents like the, the chaos of a broken world. The chaos of a broken, sinful world. And it's gone. And there's a new prepared city being ushered in a new creation. And so I mentioned the, the parallels between the first three chapters in Genesis and the last three chapters in Revelation. I, I want to share just a few um, from a Christ-centered exposition commentary. In Genesis, we have heaven and earth created. In Revelation, we have the new heavens and the new earth created. In Genesis 3, the curse of sin is announced. In Revelation, the curse is no more. Death enters the story in Genesis, and death exits history finally in Revelation. In Genesis, man is, is driven out from the garden because of sin, driven out from the presence of God, driven out from the goodness of creation, and in Revelation, man is restored into paradise. Sorrow and pain enter the world in Genesis, and in Revelation, sorrow, tears, and pain all end forever. 
Satan enters the story in Genesis 3, and he disappears for good in Revelation 20. I, I need like a constant reminder that we are not living in the final chapter. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know about you. Maybe you're, you're like, you're not there with me, and that's great for you. But maybe you're like me, and, and you have like this, like this tendency to think and to operate like this is the final chapter. Because as humans, we're, we're so self-centered that we tend to put ourselves as the main character in the story. And we actually have a really good grasp, some of us, of like redemptive history past. And we understand the gospel, and we understand that we're sinners, and we understand what Jesus has done. But we then function as though this is like the, the final chapter. We would never say that, but we, we function that way. We kind of stop, and we don't give a ton of attention of the things that are to come. We don't give a ton of attention to like Revelation 21 and 22. And I think the enemy loves that. Because when we don't operate with, a, with like a correct understanding of what God will do, we're sort of pacified and pretty self-centered. This world and these bodies and our circumstances that we're in right now, it's not our final hope. It's all passing away. It will be renewed. Jesus will come again and he will renew all things. We see in these two verses. So do you believe that that's true? Like, do you believe that this is actually God's word, that this is going to happen? I'm not talking about, like, understanding it. I I think hopefully we can understand as we read Revelation, sort of like some of the things in these final chapters that will come. But do you believe it? Like, do you hope in it and do you trust in it? That's different than just knowing it. I remember the first time that somebody looked me in the face and told me that I didn't believe the gospel. (laughs) It messed with me, and I was confused and a little mad, and then really thankful. <laughs> because I had this thought, I, had, I was, a, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe six or seven years ago, I was in a uh, discipleship group. I was working at this church in South Florida, and we had kind of like a, a triad, I think is um, the way it would work here. It's just a few guys, and we would meet weekly, share what was happening in our lives, pray for one another, remind each other of the gospel. And I was sharing sort of like this difficult situation that I was going through and how it just tore me up and I was really stressed out and anxious and all these things. And my, my good friend is a little older than me. He looked at me and said, well, you don't believe the gospel. I was like, oh, like yes, I do. I, under, I work at a church, bro, okay? Like, I understand. I believe the gospel, all right? <laughs> if anybody. No, I'm just kidding. Like, but I was like, I, I, I believe the gospel, I know I'm a sinner and Jesus died for me and, and he rose again and I have life with God because of him, not because of him. Like, I, I understand it. He said, you're showing that you understand it, but that you actually don't believe it because your belief is all mixed up with like your hope and your trust. And your belief is where it like actually impacts your real life, not could I, could I get an A on a revelation test? Could I get an A on a gospel test? No, so, so then repentance then starts with, God, I'm sorry that I don't believe the gospel, that I don't trust you. Because if I really trusted you, it, it, would, it would show in some practical ways in my life. That was a crazy conversation for me. When I was showing, hey, you're actually not believing the God. You have a belief issue. You don't have a situational issue. You have a belief issue first. And that's where repentance starts. 
We are, we are a people of like misplaced hoped, hopes and longings. We think clearly sometimes, but our hearts get all warped and like wrapped up in things and they get twisted. And once we think we have it, once we've repented of our sin, it just sort of like pops up and that idolatry creeps in somewhere else. It's why the habit and the rhythm of the Christian life is repentance and faith. So Jesus is coming again, and he's going to renew all things. Do you believe that? Or functionally, does this world, what you're going through right now, not to minimize it, because it's very real, but does this world and this portion of the story, does it captivate your mind and your heart? Because there is another city coming, and it's a better city. Hebrews 13 says, for, we have, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. This city in Revelation, this final chapter in the history of redemption. Through him then, Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. We seek that city. Our minds and our hearts are wrapped up in that city. Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's so easy. It is so easy to live as a citizen of this world. To be distracted and preoccupied and obsessed with the things that ultimately are temporary. And it's not to minimize. I know there's like very real things happening in this room. But sometimes the most loving thing to do to someone who's experiencing very real, like difficult suffering and circumstances is to zoom out for a moment, understand who God is, what he is doing, and gain some perspective of the gospel, and, and, and then go back into those things. They matter. But when we're going through something, we have a tendency to laser focus and lose sight of the truth of God. And so what if God this morning just wanted to, right, right, right now, knowing you and your situations and what you're going through and your struggles, to just lift your eyes and to zoom out a little bit and to remind you that your ultimate hope is not in this problem or situation that you're facing being resolved or being over. Your ultimate hope is fixed in Jesus and his gospel. And what's going to happen in Revelation, he will do it because that's what he does. Jesus will come again, and he will renew all things. It's not wishful thinking. It's not a theological idea. It will happen, and that changes things. So moving on to the main portion of our text, uh, down at the end, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The dwelling place of God is with man. We've seen like different, uh, like different aspects of the dwelling place of God throughout the history of redemption. And, and in, in the final chapter, where we will be, that is coming because it's God's word. The dwelling place of God, the presence of God, it's not in a bush. It's not in a burning bush. It's not in a tabernacle. It's not in the holy of holies that we just read about. It's not even... In, in me, in like a, in a person who has the spirit of God but is still wrapped up in some like really functional sin and has to fight for things and gets distracted, who's prone to wander. 
It's not even in that. The dwelling place of God is with man. And we get a glimpse in Revelation 20, or Revelation 21 and Revelation 22 of what that life fully with God, just like it was in the garden, full companionship with God of what that will be like. And that reality, it ought to stir us. It ought to change what we're going through because it, it's a reality that should, it should reorient our hearts and excite us that this is coming in Christ. To dwell with God is better than anything. And in Christ, there's nothing you can do to like make that not be in your future. It's coming. It's better than anything. It is the treasure. When he says the dwelling place of God is with man, that is the treasure. That happens because of the gospel. And it's coming. Psalm 16 says, You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's that picture of the garden restored. That the Spurgeon quote says, Here was Adam's highest privilege, that he had companionship with the Most High. To dwell with God is the treasure. So, so a second question is, in your heart of hearts, do you long for that? Do you long for that perfect fellowship with God? I know the, the answer is yes. Like, yes, we should long for that. But like, how much do we think about that? Our longings are funny. The things that we desire and that we long for, um, it's sort of what we think about on accident. They sort of creep up on us, and it reveals the true nature of our hearts. What do we really want? What do we really long for? Usually, the things that we long for are things that we've tasted a little bit of and we want more of. I'll give you a silly example. This week was a little bit different week, right? It's Christmas, you got New Year's, and so it's kind of this awkward week where you might have some more time off. I got to go this week, and I got to go play a round of golf. I haven't played golf in so long, and I was not good, and it was so fun. <laughs> I went with my brothers. We went out to Cocoa Beach, um, and we, we played golf, and we, we just had like an awesome time being really bad at golf together. And, and, and like, that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. And I legitimately, I, like for the next few days, I was just like daydreaming about playing bad golf again. <laughs> I'm like, when can I go again? And Clara's like, never. We have babies. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. Maybe one day, right? Um, not the time, but, but it's like we get a taste of something good, and then we automatically just like want more of the good thing. Maybe it's a relationship restored. Maybe you've tasted like a good relationship that right now is in a terrible place, and you just, like without even thinking about it, you're longing for it. Or like, like a return of some health that you feel like you've, you've lost. These are not bad things. Truly, we get a taste of these temporary little things, and then we spend our lives, if we're not careful, running after more of that taste. Running after temporary treasures in the world. It shows the things that we want. And the problem is, I'm not sure, I'll just say this, I know I don't have as much of an appetite, as much of a deep longing to dwell with God like this than I do over silly, trivial things that are passing away. 
I'm far too easily satisfied and pacified in my desires of things in this world, neglecting and forgetting the fact of who God is and the gospel. C.S. Lewis says this about our desires. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. What is it that is like too pleasing to you because it's right in front of you that causes you to like neglect the, the greater thing of dwelling with God, the presence of God? I was talking to somebody this week in this church and same thing, a little more time this week or whatever, a little bit of a different rhythm. And they just said, man, I've just been like lingering with the Lord in, in my time in the morning and it's been so sweet. Like, just I have some extra time, and, and like, I've just been enjoying him more, and it's been so good. And I was like, ah, I just want to golf. <laughs> but it's true. Like, 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 have we tasted that presence with God that we would automatically want more of it? Or do we, like, get in, and then we go really enjoy other things? That lingering with him. It's not that the Lord wants us to all be Bible readers and prayers every day, all day. But I think we have to ask the question, do I, do I really long for more of Jesus as much as I do for more of the things that are fleeting? Like, do I enjoy God? Really, do I enjoy God and his presence? Because it's a pretty big deal in Revelation. And I want to spend my life enjoying God more and more and having that appetite grow and grow. The passage continues on in verse 4. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Are there, like, are there better words than that? I just want to read that over and over. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, they're gone. This is not the final chapter that we're living in. This is the final chapter that we're reading. There's nothing better than that. It's not wishful thinking, it's God's word to us. The physical pain that you're experiencing, it'll be gone. The stress, the anxiety that keeps you up at night, the relationship that you're worried about, it'll be over. The depression will be gone. It's wonderful truth to a room full of people who I know we're, we're, everyone's struggling. Everyone's going through battles that maybe other people don't know. And in Christ, there is an actual end to them. So I would encourage you really, I mean, if you haven't done it, and hopefully you did it this week with the Bible together, or if you haven't done it in a while, today, like go read Revelation 21 and 22. It is so beautiful and hopeful and encouraging. But I love those verses that I just read. 
so much that I read them twice. And they're true. But it would actually be a big miss if we left here longing for a world where there's no tears and where there's no pain and, and like just wanting that. That would actually be a miss. Everything in, the, in that list is following what came before it. He says, I will dwell with them. They will be my people. I will be their God. And here's what that looks like. That whole list of no pain, no fear, like all that is because of the dwelling place of God. But because I know what it tastes like to like be happy, I run to that and I think, oh, that, that happiness will be so nice. I can't wait for that happiness. That's only a result of being in the presence of God, dwelling with God. The goal is not what we get from being near God. It's not the list that sounds nice. It's God himself. It's the dwelling. John Piper says this, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? That's been messing with me this week. And I wish that it didn't. Because I know my heart. Like, I know that I would... <laughs> I know that answer is, is, is yes a lot of times. And I don't want it to be. I don't want to get so lost in, in the idea of what heaven will be like that I miss the point of heaven. And the point is that the creator God who redeemed you is with you. It's not the fact that there's no tears. It's the fact that he's wiping them away. The best thing about eternity is God being with his people. So my question to you is, do you want God himself? Or do we... Do we want the things that are associated with being near him? Finally, verse 5, it goes on. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. It is all about him. It is a glory fest of Jesus and his presence in heaven. It's what the whole history of redemption is about, that in eternity past, God created the world. Jesus spoke it into existence. And he like lovingly and patiently moves his people from their rebellion through his people and through the prophets and through the covenants all the way to Jesus, the Messiah, that he would come on a rescue mission for us. Not because we started to like really want God more. Not because we started to get our lives together and think better. No, when we were like running far from him, his grace broke in to us. He is the one who came down and accomplished it on the cross. He is the one who is now calling sinners to himself. 
He is the one at work sanctifying us. When we have those moments and we realize, oh my goodness, I hate what's in my heart. That's his work. That's his grace to you. Saying, repent and draw near. I have better and I have more. He is the one coming again, inviting us. The Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the end. Eternity in the presence of a holy God with no sin. That's the gospel. And the the passage ends with two groups of people. Those who are welcomed in and those who are not. And the following few verses, it talks about like like to the needy, to those who are thirsty, to those who come humbly. He says some things. And then to those who like remain in rebellion against God, who refuse the invitation. To the needy, it's grace. It's come near. Christ came to save sinners. So if you're here and you're thinking, man, God, I haven't really hoped in you. I I live pretty functionally like this is the last chapter and I'm pretty self-concerned. I haven't lived like a citizen of heaven. God, I've wanted other things more than I want you really, if I'm honest. The invitation is not, hey, new year, man, new you. Think, Think better. You can do better next year if you really try to want God more. No, the invitation is to come needy, come thirsty. Listen to what he says. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Come to me. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Draw near to the one who is himself the treasure to worship. But not everybody comes. The Bible is clear. Those who reject him are, are separated. And we see as, as the um, passage continues, John, John in, in chapter 22 falls down in worship. You don't have to look far in, in Scripture to see somebody who experiences like, like the closeness or the presence of God in some way, and they fall down. I mean, we talked about it in, in the prayer of confession. People died. Like people quickly realized, you are and I am not. And that's the proper response to us. If we pray that, God, you would open our eyes to see that you are the treasure, to see and be reminded that your gospel is good and we need to come needy, the proper response is worship. To say, God, you are and I'm not. So this morning, be encouraged that this is true. The dwelling place of God is with man. That is happening fully. So lift your eyes. Zoom out. Our hope is not in the solution that we so desperately need in that specific situation and that thing that's happening. That could be good and fine, and I hope it happens. But our hope as the church is fixed on Christ and his gospel. And we've seen a beautiful picture of the way that that ends and the glory that he receives. And he will do it because he does the work. He's done the work from the beginning. He's done the work when we were dead in our sin. He did the work on the cross in our place. He's doing the work now as we battle sin and he reveals things to us and we repent and come to him. He will do the work in that final day as well. So be encouraged because that perfect shalom peace, that perfect dwelling is coming because he's purchased it and he's good. So let's pray and we'll continue. Jesus, thank you 
Thank you, God. Thank you that you, as we saw last week, Jesus, you came to save sinners. God, forgive us when, our, when we forget the treasure and our hearts get caught up in other things and our desires lead us after other things. God, we, we repent and, and we confess, Lord, we want you. We want to want you. God, would you make that hope very real in our hearts of who you are and what you've done and, and the fact that Revelation 21 is coming. So we say, come, Lord Jesus. We, we long for it. We want to long for it more. Lord, we want to be people who are all caught up in heaven. That we would see you, we would see the treasure, and everything else in our lives would be rearranged. And we would go, and in our joy, God, we would live very differently because of your goodness and your kindness to us. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.